Right, I need I need you to tell me right now. Is it called punchy kicky men or kicky punchy men? Because we've been using both interchangeably, and at some point we have to commit. How many people want to kick some ass? Welcome back to EnterTheRealWorld.com. This is a mistake of a podcast done purely for numbers. I feel like one of those actors who signs on to a sitcom because he's gone broke after sending all of his Boston legal money. This is Kiki Punchy Men, a podcast where we will be looking at, I can't even talk about it, both Raid movies and all three currently released John Wicks. My name is Matt Waters. I'm joined on this by the person who called me to the rocks with the siren song of a dumb name and even numbers. Ben Phillips, how are you? How do you feel having literally conceived a monster of a podcast? I feel good because it means we get to talk about all five of these movies and we were going to have to pick one of each franchise to do. And I am one person who likes to cover all of a franchise if we're going to discuss part of a franchise. I don't think we do any sequels or first movies of franchise apart from Ocean's Eleven Mm. in There Will Be Movies. Which isn't a banger, I just like it quite a lot, so it made (laughs) the list. Massive disclaimers here. Two reasons for this podcast. One, we are still, as of this recording, trying to finalise the final list for There Will Be Movies Volume 2. I strongly advocated putting The Raid 2 on there. John Wick has sort of come on and off and on and off. I think it ended up off in the end, but you... Well, obviously it's off because we're doing it now. No, no, I, I feel it, it wasn't as strong of a contender for the list as The Raid 2 because I was pushing very hard for that as, as a strong personal favourite. But you are a communist who likes to spread the numbers around. We had too many films in the year that The Raid 2 came out on the list, so you were like, what if we just did them both and but we put them under the year that The Raid came out? And then eventually you just did what you did with Skyfall and were like, what if we did a whole separate podcast where we can talk talk about both raids and the John Wicks and just clear all of this up. So here we are with Kiki Punchy Men, episode one, The Raid Redemption. Uh, released September 2011 at the Toronto Film Festivals. It did the first festival circuit for quite a while before getting a general release. April of 2012 in the USA, May of 2012 in the UK. Written, directed and edited by Gareth Evans, who had a background in horror. Uh, these are the two things he does. He does horror films and he does fetishistic movies to demonstrate Silat, or Penchak Silat, specifically the martial art. He had done Footsteps, which is a horror movie, and he had done Marantu, which is a martial arts movie starring Aiko Uwe and Yayan Ruyen and various other people that he will continually work with forever and ever. And this first one is an hour and 41 minutes, which is nice and tight, because if you take those credits off, it's probably an hour and a half. The perfect length for a movie, in Matt Waters' opinion. An opinion that Ben will use against him next episode. (laughs) The most mind-boggling thing about this is it cost $1.1 million. So you could hire Johnny Depp once, or make the raid almost a hundred (laughs) times. Take your pick. Just an unfathomably low budget that kind of shines a massive light on the uh, economic disparity of cinema in different regions of the world like it's amazing what happens when you hire people who have no like international name and you film it all in sort of one closed set of a tower building and none of the guns are real it's all just airsoft guns that they do effect on i will say watching both of these the effects have not aged that well (laughs) there's a lot of like wonky stuff happening with guns and wounds
drones and and that kind of stuff but hey and it made 9.3 million dollars at the box office which is a surprising amount so uh, very profitable so evans moved to indonesia to make a documentary about salat as i said he discovered aiko uwe who was famously working as a delivery driver for a phone company, not even an actor, just a guy that trained at this facility where he was filming. And he was like, who is this handsome, charismatic man? And he has become his muse because he, you know, will go on to cast him twice more. But yeah, it started with Morantu and both raid movies and... Aiko and Yayan are the fight coordinators on both. He wanted to make a big giant prison gangster film called Berendal, which means thug or scoundrel, but that was too expensive, too big, so the raid is essentially a glorified Kickstarter, where it's just like, let's make something smaller, make something simpler, make something cheaper, and then it goes on to, you know, make so much... I mean, it's not so much money, but so much more money than it costs to make. And then they get the money to make the Raid 2, which they wanted to make all along. Sony got the international rights, and it was at that point they asked Mike Shinoda to do a whole new score. I have never heard the original, but I like the new one by Mike Shinoda and Joseph Trapanese, which is somehow a real name. Maybe it's Trapanese. Who knows? It's equally a wild name. And uh, there's been an American remake in development hell for a decade, cycling through various people that are going to be in it. Uh, It's never going to come out, is the spoiler there. So, this is, in my opinion, a masterclass in, like, structure and focus, because it kind of just oscillates back and forth between here's a big fight, here's some calm, here's a big fight, here's some calm. It feels like a video game. There's literally levels of the building, but then there are like mini bosses and stuff like that. And I think it's just a really good example of how to control the pace of a film in that way. And it's something it does better than the second one. Um, because, yeah, like they establish the premise, they have their little stealth action scene, everything goes to hell. And then it, it literally, until the end, goes calm fight, calm fight, calm fight, calm fight, calm fight. And then that's the end. And there's a very small cast. And obviously the whole thing is in Indonesian with subtitles. And most of the talking is at the very beginning and the very end. And most of what happens in the middle is just wanton violence. I think it was the smart thing to do for... To keep it cheap, to keep it simple, to keep it as a, like, demo of what they could do. Because the whole thing is a giant showcase for this martial art that, for whatever reason, Gareth Evans has fallen in love with. And he's found these, like, expert practitioners in it. And these fight scenes have massively affected cinema across the world. Um, action cinema specifically uh, because you see these guys will pop up they will make cameos in western movies like to see the trio of raid stars in Star Wars was fucking insane two of them will appear in John Wick 3 they've made a dumbass Netflix series for Aiko Uwe Wu Assassins which I can't decide if the reviews for it are good or bad I feel I've heard both extremes I'm, uh, I'm surprised you haven't jumped in just to watch it I've, I will at some point but okay. yeah it, it just it looks awful I feel John Wick potentially wouldn't exist without i mean it probably would in some form but you look at the fight choreography of john wick and you look at the raid and it feels like there was a massive influence here i feel like the fact that this movie is obviously made in such close conjunction with the stunt artists and people who are doing the fight choreography like it's a movie in which the director knows how to shoot action but also knows how to let the stunt guys do their own thing and it's not since you're getting into like jackie chan years and years ago that someone was shooting action this kind of cleanly and i feel like chas and that team there was looking at this movie and going like we can just do this 
like we know that Keanu Reeves is someone that has a lot of respect for stunt artists and obviously like you watch his interviews for the Matrix and he sits mm. there and goes like it's not me it's the stunt team and I think it's this increasing the control of the stunt team in visualizing this stuff that is improving the action movie yeah. in the kind of 2010s and you can see it a little bit in the Marvel movies but the issue there is that so much of it is prevised and yeah. that contributes to it but obviously a lot of these guys are working in the superhero genre as well because what their second unit directors on Civil War and Chatterhelsky did all the fight choreography for Birds of Prey so they're kind of circling back around into that world and yeah. it's a shame that Gareth Evans hasn't really come back to the West and yeah like he was circling doing a Deathstroke movie for DC for a while but that's just completely fallen apart and I think that would have been really cool personally but you know he did that there's a film on Netflix I think with Dan Stevens from uh, Legion it's like a horror gore type thing so I don't think I'll ever be able to bring myself to watch it but you know which is which is weird <laughs> because watching the second movie there's so much blood and gore in it mm-hmm. that I feel like obviously the context is different and there's probably levels of because I haven't seen Apostle either mm. but there's levels of suspense and tension that are probably being built up in a horror film more than an action movie but you watch the second Raid film you're like I can't imagine there's anything gorier in Apostle <laughs> than some of the stuff that goes on I think it gets torture porny though. I don't know. Like, uh, I don't know. I I will one day watch it because you know, uniting two of my faves. Are you going to watch Gangs of London? Sure, why not? It only premiered like a week ago, but I was just intrigued. You only did two episodes. I'm just intrigued if that was something you would want to watch. Ah, probably. I, I I think he is a good filmmaker. Like I I think he is probably a better director and editor than he is a writer, but. I, I like what he does and like you know he obviously has a massive reverence for what they all do and for their culture as well like I, it is very you know he is obviously a white dude who's gone to Asia and like is making this authentic Asian thing so there's that whole iffiness but I think he has a genuine reverence for it and it's not like a fetishization of it and just like little things like letting the character of Rama be a Buddhist because I go away as one and that kind of stuff I will try and keep this very broad because this is a ridiculous podcast that shouldn't exist, <laughs> but also, like, there's not really much of a plot here, so I do think the the opening is very effective. I mean, the fact that the first third is entirely gunplay and there's, like, no martial arts, when the entire reputation for this is, it's a crazy kung fu movie. They're not doing kung fu, but, you know, that's what people were saying. That kind of blew me away on my first watch, but I do think the first third is actually really effective at setting this all up, and, like, it all opens with this little montage with Rama, like, it's so simple, just, you know, exercising, meditating, praying, training, spending a little moment with his pregnant wife, and promising his father that he will bring him back. And I think it's so important to do that because this Rama character, especially in the second one, but also in the first one, is one of cinema's greatest monsters. Just such a doer of violence (laughs) that it's so important to establish him as a sympathetic, nice person. And I think Aiko Uwe, as a a human being, as an actor, his second acting project, uh, he might have had a cameo in something in between, but, you know, his first big boy acting, he does just have this general sense of you want to root for this guy like he seems like a nice person and we talked about in secret agent men that both jason bourne and ethan hunt in ways are kind of there's not much to them but 
and especially with Jason Bourne, who barely even talks, and yet Matt Damon did such a great job of making this character someone that you, you want to get behind, and I think Aiko Uwe does a similar thing with Rama, because there is fuck all to Rama. Like, he is a quiet, reflective guy, who has a moral compass, obviously, but he's not really a big talker, and that's probably deliberate to not have to ask Aiko Uwe to do too much serious acting, but I, I think that's so important to get that established off the bat, because you're going to then spend, what, three and a half hours between the two of them, just watching him just burn people's faces and slice their legs apart and cripple and maim and murder, and to, to have a character that, like, is a dickhead doing that, I don't think I would be as on board. I think this movie nails the balance between him having to act and him being an all-powerful machine. I also think it's benefited by the smaller cast and we understand everyone's yes. motivations quite easily. I think this is one of the top five or top ten action movies of the 2010s. Mm-hmm. For sure. I mean, obviously, like, we disagree. I would put stuff like Mad Max and Mission Impossible Fallout on that list. But <laughs> but I do think that this is a, a sign of restraint. And I love this kind of movie. Like, I love Dread as well. Oh, which... I love Dread. The era of the plot of the movie is to take a tower building from, uh, from the ground floor to the top. Like, you've got the raid... Dread, what was it, Concrete Jungles or whatever it was called? Um, I, I only wa- I've only watched the first two. Okay, I, I haven't seen enough. it, I just remember there was a trailer and I was like, how is that not just The Raid? Tower Block, was that a movie that came out around this time? God. I don't know, but I feel like there were like le- a legit five movies in a two or three year span where that is the entire plot, is that good guys have to get to the top of a slum building that is controlled by criminals. They, they have a small cast and everyone is, they are kind of cardboard cutouts but in a good way because they're not trying for Citizen Kane here, they're trying for an, a simple clean action movie and they achieve yeah, they, it cause... They give everyone one trait pretty yes, much, exactly. there's like the corrupt sergeant, there's the guy who's regretting or no, 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 it's not the sergeant, it's the, the oh, lieutenant. God, lieutenant and lieutenant then the sergeant is the corrupt cop, Jacka yeah. the sergeant Joe Taslam is the like actually nice but kind of too old for this shit sergeant Bowo yeah. is a bit of a dick, but ultimately good. The Dagu is Dagu is just he's just around just nice, yeah. And then like beyond that, like the villains are simple as well. Like Tama is just this greasy, dirty slumlord. Mad Dog is just pure evil, like a physical enforcer. Andy's the brains, and then you got Wife Guy, who is just the innocent bystander who makes a choice. And it's like, yeah, this is this is all very clean and simple. And then even like, like the random guys they fight. There's Machete Guy, you know, <laughs> like, and uh, that guy is actually quite compelling. And I have never seen him before, and I will never see him again. But like. It's just a good piece of henchmening, you know? Yeah, like, I. it feels like, in a weird way, this movie feels like a 100-minute long extension of the hammer fight scene from Old Boy. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. obviously that movie is different in that there's no gore. I feel... I don't mind the gore in this one, but I do think they get a bit gore-heavy yeah, as they, they go do. through they the movies. Do. Every single shot is kind of digitally punched up with some kind of fake blood. or Because <laughs> I don't even think it's squibs. I think it is all... No, it's all digital. Whole thing. Yeah. And I think that... It doesn't detract from it, because like, but I just rewatched Old Boy a couple of weeks ago, and that hammer fight scene is an incredible feat of choreography, and it's something that Park Chan-wook doesn't do very often. Like, he is not an action filmmaker, but 
and obviously Gareth Evans is. And there's an athleticism to all of these fights. And I mean, one of my favorite shots in this movie is when they break the door down and Rama kind of takes the guy's head and then backflips and throws his throat onto oh, the... Oh, jumps backwards and brings him down onto the jagged door frame. Yeah, that's fucking but, disgusting. Like, <laughs> it's disgusting, but there's no gore in that shot. It's no. all of it's kind of implied of yeah. like, you know what's going to happen to this guy. This guy is dead. And it's yeah. just one of those effective deaths in a way that some of the others are a bit like i i agree i think that is when these two movies are working at their best is when your head fills in the blanks and what you imagine is infinitely more effective than any gore effect unless you had way more money than they have there are some particularly gruesome ones in the second one i actually think like the big baseball bat one is, is like the one that i think sticks out but like i think that is made more effective by like immediately spinning the camera away from it in some mm. ways but yeah that that door one is one of, that might be like the moment that sticks out in my head from this first one just so creative and and economical you know with what it yeah. does and i think that's that's a, a great way to describe this movie is that the first third of the movie is all about we see these this team of police officers be incredibly effective what they're doing like yeah. they're taking down people left right and center they succeed in taking what five or six floors of this building yep. and then they're completely fucked over by a child who manages to call the alarm out and then <laughs> i love that it's that like a kid makes a run for it and you're like well they're fucked and they do shoot him dead but he manages to call someone else and then that person one second they're on the intercom and say policia and that's it they're all fucked and they all just get slaughtered after that and it's yeah, really and good that... like they spend what half an hour building this tension of them just quietly tactically taking these floors the lockpick guy and there's a guy with an axe and like they all have roles in the team like that and yeah like you said they take they get i think they get trapped on the sixth floor because tama's response is to call in the neighbors they snipe the lookouts they they destroy the getaway truck so they can't leave and they start the guy, the guy who slips out yes the zip ties <laughs> either they haven't done them tight enough or he's just just super flexible. flexible yeah i kind of like that everyone in this building is kind of tough as nails even though so many of them just get massacred none of these people are made to look like complete dipshits you know like they're all dangerous and he's the same guy that then like he's running down the corridor pretending he's cuffed and the guy won't shoot him and then when he gets near to him he just pops him in the head or whatever yeah and like they cut them off from below like that so they retake floors one to five and the cops are all trapped on on floor six and tamar is like offered free rent for life to anyone who kills a cop and it's like you guys are so fucking fucked yeah because um, there's so many because obviously the whole point is this building is owned by a drug lord who rents out to criminals but also rents out to real people yes or including I, wife guy yeah which it is so weird to think that like probably 80 percent of this building's full of criminals who are lying low and then like 20 percent of the people are just like Poor. if i <laughs> if i if i look at the wrong person the wrong way i could die yeah they're horrible little life you know like like later on like rama will bring bowo to wife guy's apartment and he's like can you get me something sharp and all he has is a tiny little fucking palette knife he's like you don't own a knife how ridiculously poor are you? Yes, it is good stuff. They they really hold off on, on the martial arts and like, you know, they it is this big gun movie for a long time and you get this slightly ridiculous, albeit very well filmed moment with a shotgun blast illuminates them to the balcony above and then they just get rained down on by all the people above and I think throughout they do a really good job of establishing this building as a physical space, that the floors are meaningful because this is also the segment where Rama has the idea of like, like, 
right, let's chop through the floorboard and go back the floorboards and go back down a level because they're all up here. And then they're fucked down there, so they have, they go back up again. And there is a constant he is constantly moving up and down some floors and it feels like he is I don't want to like get too deep on it because this is this isn't like a big philosophical film, but you know, this sense that he is making tangible progress and then regressing and yeah, the 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 building itself is is a huge factor to this i think is very effective and it might do that better than dread does yeah i'd agree i think the smartest thing they do is they focus on the characters who are going to stay alive in the early point there's no kind of time wasted on characters who are just going to die in the fodder in the early parts of the movie and then as they start dying they start splitting the cast up so when the martial arts does happen it's not chaotic it's normally one versus a lot of other guys or one-on-one is kind of how the movie starts to move on to and i think that economical freedom makes the movie so much more riveting because ultimately only two of the good guys know where to fight or three three if we're including dagu but dagu doesn't really get a showcase until the drug raid at the end yeah yeah (laughs) and you kind of dagu is just a complete blank slate he's just one of the nice ones and then he at the end it's like oh you can fight cool but you're about to get shot in the face so don't worry about it (laughs) Going with, like, making the building a physical space, they do... I figure this is probably trick photography, but, like, the camera, like, moving down the gap that they're dropping down as well. And I like when they point the camera down and, like, Jacker drops down and you see him immediately get tackled by all these dudes. I 100% think they only built two floors or... (laughs) And then uh, only had one room which they just kind of moved around a little bit. I don't think there is not... It's probably, like, one corridor and one room and they just kept redressing them. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, and then they, they flip it because when the bad guys stop coming through the ceiling, Lockpick Man just tackles that pair of legs straight out the fucking window. <laughs> and that's a really fun moment. And then it does move into... Because Bowo gets injured in this little exchange. They're all kind of fucked. We're down to, like, like six cops, something like that. It's, like, Rama and Jacka, and then, like, Dogu, the lieutenant, Bowo, some random. And they get split up. And Rama takes Bowo, a two-wife guy, to lay low. Because Rama was the only one that was nice to him. Because he was, like, just trying to get into the building. And they're all like, right, get the fuck back. And he's like, I need to get this medicine to my wife. And this is such simple fucking stuff. Like, the hero does a random act of kindness. And it will later pay off for him. Because he is the one person in the building willing to shelter them. While everyone else is trying to kill them. And this is where we get our first, like... Where it moves into this pattern. Because on the way, Rama has to defend Bowo. And we get this one versus many fight. And Silat, I believe, the entire philosophy behind it is like, because you see it in how it's how they fight. Like it, it's designed to fight multiple people, and you'll see the way they work is they're very light on their feet and they're constantly repositioning themselves. And you see like both hands kind of like flailing to kind of establish position, kind of thing. And they're always backing away and like controlling the space and that kind of stuff. And I think it's very effective for this setting because it's all very cramped conditions and it's many versus one and that kind of thing. And yeah, we will get into this pattern now where. It will be a one versus many fight, and then there'll be like a one-on-one boss fight, and then another one versus many fight, and that, and and it will go like that until the end. I yeah, think this, that is... this movie perfectly controls the flow of how every scene takes place, yes. and even using the space to increase the tension because just before then, like we have the machete gang who are yes. kind of roving <laughs> the hallways, and they're just about to bust in on the kind of group of three people. And then we cut away to the fight of Rama with Bow Wow. And then he gets into a fight in the hallway. And it's the first big martial art fight in the mm. movie. Yeah. 
And, and it's like 45 minutes in or something like that. Yeah, and everyone everyone else has got knives, and the entire point is, this is a fight of, yes, there are some brutal kills in this movie, but it feels so much more about incapacitation. Yes, it feels Obviously. like survival. And I kind of feel like the people that do better against him are the ones that are unarmed, because whenever anyone's got a weapon, obviously he looks like frantically trying to get it off them and avoid it, but I feel like the weapons are kind of, they put everything into swinging them, and he is just very aware of them and controlling them and getting them out of their hands and using them against them and that kind of stuff, and I, I think that's really effective because obviously he's not going to die, but I think they do do a great job of making every fight feel dangerous, every randomer swinging a blade feels like they could kill Rama and like we know they won't but there are fights you know there are fight scenes in cinema where there are no stakes whatsoever because there's always the invisible promise of your hero will make it to the end but like some films do a better job of making fights feel dangerous than others and I think Rama constantly feels like he is scraping through yeah and I think it also helps that he does fuck up at points he does like hits land on him he does get wounded I mean we're coming up on the scene where he gets a very prominent scar which he's going to have throughout the second movie I mean it isn't from a fight but it is from a moment of him not having control and he does get just taken down as well like we're we're used to these movies where like the hero either like no one can land a hit on them or they're going to get some comical over the top wound that like they would never get up from but they will and this instead it doesn't cast Rama as invincible he's just I mean he kind of is because he just takes on an infinite number of dudes but like they're never clean fights he always gets knocked down he does get physically wounded and I think they do a good job of I mean I think they're going for that whole adrenaline thing where during the fight he can take infinite damage but then after the fights he does always look pretty fucked up and mm. it's coming a bit later on when he has to like drop two floors to get away from them and he just looks completely fucking wrecked but and then like they, they get into the apartment and they hide in the crawl space and that scene where Machete dude is just stabbing through the drywall and it's getting closer and closer to them and then it fucking cuts Rama's face and he has to keep himself quiet and still. He has to keep Bowo quiet. And then as the guy's pulling the machete out, he has to clean his own blood off the machete so he doesn't look at the blade and go, huh, how did that happen? Yeah, it, it's a very tense moment. And like, it, it's more of like, even when there's not a fight happening, they are in constant danger because this building is just full of dudes who will fuck them up. And yeah, I remember seeing that for the first time and like, shit, how, how, how would you not just scream out in pain if someone, I mean, he only barely gets him, but like it draws blood and it goes in quickly. And it's like, that must have really fucking hurt. <laughs> And Rama's, uh, you know, he's a focused, quiet man, and uh, it paid off for him there. But yeah, yeah. I think my favorite touch is after he <laughs> convinces his wife guy to like take care of Bowel for him, he comes in the hallway, and it's one of my favorite touches. Of the wreckage of the last fight is just still on the floor because it's only been about five minutes. It's not like a video game where the corpses disappear. It's just <laughs> we're in the same place, and all these people who presumably they presumably just shot the corridor scene, reset, and then shot it like five minutes later, so everyone just had to lie there for a long period of time. But <laughs> yeah. it it does create a sense of a lived-in world and i mean are all of them dead uh i don't think so because i think they're like do they stab some of them <laughs> like i feel like they're walking around like checking bodies and stuff and, and collecting like, guns and yeah like it, it has this sense of they've survived that moment he has the quiet conversation with wife guy and everything and then off rama goes for his next murder spree in a way <laughs> we also get you know the the background plot is this entire mission is a fucking front because the lieutenant is corrupt and he admitted it a bit earlier that like they're not officially here and Rama asks at the beginning why us why today and there are a suspicious number of rookies in the squad and wife guy is like oh yeah that guy's been here a lot like he knows this building as well as I do so they are 
trying to tell that story in the background as well of like right what's going on here but yeah we we get this crazy machete fight where rama has to you know he's walking along and then like one of the dudes is like reacting to all the corpses and then just sees him in the corridor and he runs and i like that they're not afraid to do that either like rama will run away because it's the fucking smart thing to do and it's only when he's cornered he can't get through that door there's like all right let's fight and it is the machete gang against him and it is so fucking crazy and it is you know it does culminate in that backwards jump we talked about onto the door frame and but yeah again just more incredibly dangerous weapons like him almost getting cut a lot and then the main machete dude is treated like this mini boss and they get this more extended one-on-one fight and culminates with him tackling him out the window and using his body to break his floor, uh, his fall. But yeah, that it works so well. Just insane violence, quiet moment. Insane violence, quiet moment. Like this. Yeah. All of the fights in this movie are so impressive, yeah. and I would struggle to pick a best one. Although I do think the next fight might be my favorite in the movie. Are you talking Jacko versus Mad Dog? Yes, I am. Yes, because again, like I think I don't know if it's a choice because it's a foreign language film but they use a lot of shorthand and it might also be that a lot of the actors don't have a lot of experience or it might just be being very economical with your time but they do do a lot of shorthand and like you know the the villains get their little scene right at the beginning where like you know you see tama execute all those dudes in a row and like you know they they establish who these people are and this one-on-one fight between jacker and mad dog and they've built up mad dog and like they call him a, a fury of fists and feet or whatever and you get to give Jacka his little moment and be like, oh, he's really good. He's just not good enough. And they build Mad Dog as this just insanely good fighter who doesn't like guns. He prefers his fists. He has that great moment where he's like flexing his hand. He's like, this, this is what I'm about kind of thing. And they set up his big kill move because he will try and use it later. And it's just like, this is good shit. You have to do this kind of thing. You have to do... Here's what it would look like in the, if if uh, in the worst case scenario, so you know to look out for it later. And Yayan is just insane. Like Aiko Uwe is obviously a very good fighter, but like he is the star because he is the slightly better actor, not because he's the best martial artist. Yayan is so fucking fast, it's insane. But then he's also so light, obviously, and I like that Joe Taslim just kind of literally throws him around quite a lot. And it's like, you know, when they're just straight up trying to trade strikes, Yayan fucks him up. But then, like, he is able to, like, throw him around and he's wearing his body armor and that kind of stuff. And Joe Taslim is, like, a judo expert. I think he was on the Indonesian judo national team for, like, over a decade. So he can fight too. But Yayan is just a fucking whole other beast. And it's appropriate. His character is called Mad Dog. It's a wonderful piece of showing and telling. Like, the movie sets your expectations up for what this guy is going to be like with only a few lines of dialogue. And then when he shows up, he 100% achieves everything you've got inside your head and possibly overachieves, yeah. like, what you're expecting from him. Yeah. Because, and it's impressive down to the point where, like, we haven't seen Jack a fight before now. Like, the most we've no. seen is him and Rama kind of teaming up to intelligently get the people who are still there out of danger. And then Mad Dog shows up and the fight is kind of even-handed for a little bit to start with and then yeah. he just starts to completely fuck him up yeah. and it ends with that brutal neck snap. And I, I like that like it starts so slowly as well where like he just comes across him in the hall and they have this quick standoff Mad Dog draws the gun on him and then like they have this moment of like they both freeze in like combat position and then Jacko like tells them all to go and, and Mad Dog lets them go and everyone leaves and these two just go quietly into a room to settle this between them they will do this in the second movie 
movie as well where like there are certain fights where like they will give they will really build it up and and, and establish this quiet tension and then they will just unleash hell on each other yeah like there's a there's a sense of honor to yes it where, exactly. where mad dog is someone who is brutal and will just murder you but yeah. he's gonna let you try he doesn't like using guns he wants to see you yeah. try and fight back in a way that feels fair i think cinema has really like there is a villain problem in superhero movies i think there's a villain problem generally in cinema and i think there aren't enough of these kind of like mad dog exists for one thing and it's just violence and fighting and like this this henchman style character because he is not the big boss of this movie he is just like the the main like muscle and like he is so effective because they build him up as this kind of like it it doesn't take much but they establish him as this fucking slaughterhouse within an hour he is then fully set up for his big scene at the end they also have like the tension between him and andy who at this point is revealed as rama's brother and is the him that rama promised to bring home and is the reason he took this mission like they have this little talk and there is the whole you know family resentment and like they haven't spoken in six years and he won't come home and it's like you know i am good at this even if it's illegal but then the news that like rama is expecting a child gets through to him and he want he doesn't want his brother to die so he is offering to try and help him get out he offers him a change of clothes but rama refuses and like this this fits or whatever because while he is here for personal reasons he is a cop and he seems to genuinely believe in being a cop and like punishing criminals and all of this so like i feel the uniform is very important to him that he wear that even if it is making him a massive fucking target in this building and also i feel you know trying to snipe at his brother a little bit they're like you're a criminal i'm a policeman blah 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 but tama saw all of this on camera so they do they stab him in the hand and there is this you know like mad dog is like eyeing him up the whole goddamn movie and like there is clear resentment between these two the right and the left hand man but yeah they they catch him and that will be set up in a moment but before that i i just want i do think this relationship between rama and andy is the thing that elevates the movie just because it gives Rama some kind of personal stakes. Like, he isn't just doing this because it's his job to bust into this building and do it. Like, he does have a secret motive that's propelling him forward, and that is, I want to get my brother out of there. And I think that is something that is lost yeah. In the second movie. Don't worry, I read your letterbox review. I understand <laughs> your uh, your criticisms. Yeah, no, for sure. Like, I think this relationship is really well done, and they have a good little chemistry, and it works really well. Um, Andy has an element to the plot, and it kind of sucks that he just bites it in the first two minutes of the second film. But yeah, I think uh, that's that's the, that's my main issue is that he the second movie uses the emotional setup of this movie to kind of propel its narrative forward, but then it just gets lost. In the fact that it's a different script we'll talk about that (laughs) this helps this now because it gives us stakes for why we should care about this guy when he gets his hand stabbed it's not just a simple case of he fucked up and so we're going to punish him it's because he's trying to protect the main character who we have an affection for but it also gives access to like the best fight in the movie after the mad dog fight like both mad dog fights and i think it is all down to the fact that yayan is the best fighter I think it is clear from the second he begins fighting in every of one of his fight scenes that like this dude is an absolute monster. It's just that Aiko is like a better actor, a more sympathetic face, all of that. But he establishes himself so well here, and I think. Have you seen Morante? 
I've not seen Morantu. Okay. He's so nice in Morantu. <laughs> <laughs> and then, like, the same in the second one, where he has, like, he smiles and he has warmth to him and sadness to him. And as Mad Dog, he is just a fucking beast. And I think that's actually really well done. So Rama rejoins the lieutenant and, and Dagu, they establish that he scolds the lieutenant, like, for his cowardice, says he's responsible for every death, but on they must go. And they do their little raid on the drug lab on the, like, 14th floor of 15. Which feels like the most redundant fight in the movie in some ways. A bit, but like, you know, it's I, I like the last it... hurdle before the boss fight, you know? Yeah, like... it's just, it's just because they haven't set anyone up in this fight in the same way that they have the Machete yeah. Lord or like there's no stakes in terms of fact, it's just kind of three guys busting shop. It just. There's Table Guy. <laughs> there is Table Guy, but it does, <laughs> no, it yeah, does it's... feel a little bit like, oh, we've got time for one more action yeah, this, set piece. Yeah, this feels the most like wedged in one of these. Um... And I think Dread has a very similar fight scene, a very similar point in the movie. It does. Where it's like, oh, we're kind of bridging the gap between Act 2 and Act 3. Dagger gets quite a little run here, the lieutenant gets to throw some hands. I mean, the, the, my other issue with these kind of fight scenes, and they happen quite a bit in the second one as well, is they'll throw something which is very obviously <laughs> not got anything in, and then people Are you talking will fall about over. when uh, Rama throws a pallet that doesn't hit anyone whatsoever at the end of the second one? Also, part. when he throws the empty water cooler bowls. Yes. Yes. Just like it's just this bizarre thing where it's like it's cool that you're throwing stuff, but the way that you act like it's but completely I, I incapacitated kinda... these people is. Yeah, that bit isn't as good, but I do like that it kind of it's what we were saying before that they're not perfect, infallible heroes, and like there is a sense of desperation and just just doing shit. And I also like that like you see it in this bit. For every fancy kick and move, there is a lot of just fucking chucking somebody into things, like just throwing people into furniture and like table guy just getting tripped and, like, bouncing off the table and everything. And... Yeah, there are a lot of convenient hollow bookcases. <laughs> so the big, the main event fight. I might agree with you that Jacka versus Mad Dog is probably a more effective cinematic fight, but, like, this is, like, the one they were building to. It oh, like... yeah, this is this is the emotional climax to the movie, to the point where yeah. this is how I think the movie ends, and I completely forget about the plot <laughs> setup for the second movie that happens in the scene afterwards because it involves a character who's had absolutely no setup, but... <laughs> <laughs> my god what a fantastic conclusion to this like just how everything builds and this is where i have to give special out to the score like mike schnoder's score has been great throughout but there is a level of yeah. kind of the frequency increasing and the tension increasing through the music as this fight goes on and it just builds and builds and builds until the they execution eventually, like, moment yeah. the execution moment where, like when they smash open that neon light bulb yeah it's like you said like it is mounting with the tension of the fight and like as they start to really break through that's the thing it, it is rama and andy versus mad dog and andy is horrifically hurt from his torture and everything but still it is a two-on-one fight that mad dog is mostly winning like he wrecks their shit for most of it and as they start to work together more and more they they have more success and like the music matches their success it's standard fight music that's building, and then when the when he smashes the light tube, it like comes down a bit, and then you have the quiet tension of he's about to do his kill move. But then as they have their comeback, it like it it gets even more frenetic and everything, and then like you know pinning him down and slitting his throat with the I broken mean, glasses. The, the highlight is him is Andy shoving the the neon tube into his neck. Yes, and then the fight continuing for about another like minute. I know. 
I know. <laughs> and obviously the whole idea is that like they've probably cut an artery or whatever it is yeah. from this stab, but it's in there and keeping the pressure gone. But just yes. it adds to the legacy of Mad Dog in that he just fights through this with this like he was not going to survive this fight no matter what happens, even if he kills these two. Yeah. But he's going to try his best to kill yeah. these two before. And they they do like, the same with Koso in the second one. Like he, he he just absorbs an ungodly amount of punishment, but he will not be denied in this big fight. And like it also mirrors a bit the kitchen fight in the second one where like Rama like breaks both his arms and slices both of his arms and stuff like that like I think Gareth Evans and and these two as fight coordinators are really into the idea of like dissecting an opponent like crippling them bit by bit and uh yeah culminating in like Andy pinning him down and and yeah slicing his throat open and yeah it's fucking grim but and can I just say all the times where their heads bounce off walls and floors fucking disgusting <laughs> like, it's like you would just vomit and the fight would be over immediately like mega concussion you're done but yeah they do a lot of that and it's obviously martial arts movies have a built in element of like these people can absorb inhuman amounts of punishment but like it's whenever someone's head bounces off concrete or brick and they keep going I'm like nah sorry uh, and then yeah plot stuff happens and it's you don't really care that much like the lieutenant is crooked for sure he kills Dagu Tama reveals oh you're an idiot I knew you were coming they name drop Reza who they don't do a good enough job in in either film to establish who Reza <laughs> is but you can infer from the situation he is a higher up policeman who takes bribes that the lieutenant thought he was coming here to like do something but like they'd set him up he knew he was coming and uh yeah I mean the lieutenant kills Tama he's killed Dogu uh, Dagu he tries to kill himself but he's out of bullets Rama brings him in, he takes, and he gives him evidence that Tama had been recording on the Dirty Cops, and he tells him, go find Bunawar, who is named, I believe, for Aiko's grandfather, who was a Salat master, his name was Bunawar. Yeah, and they do, and they have that little moment where, at the end, he's like, you know, come with me. And he's like, in this world, I can protect you, can you do the same for me out there? And it is this kind of like, no, I can't. <laughs> and, they, and they part ways, and it's like, what a effective exercise in filmmaking this whole movie was and like how simple and clean it is yeah and i think this is what i like about action movies is and obviously i like stuff that's big and complicated i like stuff like casino royale and mission impossible fallout but they they tend to fall more onto like character stuff and then have these big spectacles but i also have a great fascination with stuff like the raid stuff like dread i mean the original die hard is Mm. what how long is that movie like 100 and it's just over two hours but it's still one man one location a limited cast of people and i think there's a certain genre of action movie that just is immeasurably improved by having the space or the constrict like the the space to do this kind of thing and the constrictions to make it more effective yes i i am 100 with you and i am down for anything remotely like this where it's like one day one place one man against you know a, a finite number of villains because sometimes you get the feeling with an action movie or they try to compensate for convoluted reasons for why the action is happening mm-hmm. and it can sometimes get in the way of the actual action that's happening because when yeah. the action finishes and it's been rip- thrilling you come back and you're like right but what what's actually happening with the plot at this point whereas this is i i think i read a review that called it a pressure cooker of a movie and i yeah. have to agree where it's so effective at doing what it's doing that I just have to sit up and applaud it. Like, it's not high art. It's not (laughs) one of my ten favourite movies of the last ten years. But it's a movie that I find myself more than 
most other action movies going like oh, i could just sit and watch the raid a hundred percent i think it has an ease of watchability like that is not true of the second one and is not true of any of the john wicks and i can see why you would put this number one because like it is just an exercise in tight focus it's simple it's clean you can get on board you can pop it in and have it done in two hours if you really want you could skip right to when the martial arts really starts uh, and have like although a... I, I do think that first half hour is great I'd i do as well likely, i'd be more likely just kind of go like right once the final fight with andy rama and mad dog is over i'm yes. just kind of like all oh, right i can get my phone out now and ignore the subtitles of this last like <laughs> stretch like where they name drop all these characters from the second one and like i was like oh shit they are really just naming them but yeah i mean they'd already written the movie so i mean um, that's that's the intriguing thing is obviously this movie is built to set up the next movie yeah. but i also feel this movie undercuts what could have made the second movie better by just existing and them having to kind of contort themselves into having the two fit together in a way that feels satisfying well a discussion for next time so yeah a, a great fucking movie a great way to start this podcast about do you want to do you want to just do like a quick like top three fight scenes yeah i mean jack I mean, versus I've... mad dog mad dog versus rama and andy and then machete fight I, I think I think Machete Fight is probably the easy number three yeah. on that list. Again, the ones with the mini bosses or the characters who yeah. are established physical presences and for like a payoff. Like the first fight scene in the hallway when Bauer was kind of like crawling along the floor and stabbed <laughs> the guy multiple times is fun, but yeah. it feels like oh we're just getting started on this. Oh, this yeah. is oh, yeah. this is the end of them having access to bullets. And we're going to lose the weapons at this point and move straight over into hand-to-hand or hand-to-bladed weapon combat. We agree. Jacka versus Mad Dog is probably the fight scene from this movie. Yeah, because Jacka is kind of billed a second lead of this movie. And yes. it's not shocking that he dies, but it does kind of... Again, it does the impressive thing of Mad Dog is a valid physical presence. And mm. it's a perfect lead-out of Act 2 and increasing the tension. And, oh, we'll hope is lost because... Yeah. This other side has this guy on their team. How on earth is Rama going to be able to beat him when they inevitably get into one-on-one combat? Yeah, Jacka's character is is built to die, to serve the villain, and to make the stakes higher for the hero. And Joe Taslam comes in and fucking nails this. And like, it's not a surprise to me that like he is the guy. He probably hasn't gotten quite as much work as Aikawa, but like he is probably rivaling him for like the breakout star of, of. I mean, he's only in the first one, but like he will go on to be in several other movies in this genre he's in like a star trek and a fast and furious he's gonna be sub-zero in the new mortal Kombat. like joe taslam is great the other thing is that everyone in this movie is so visually distinct i think the only one who doesn't fit that mold is dagu who yeah. looks a bit too similar to eco <laughs> he just blends into the background it's... yeah like, like during, <laughs> during that fight scene in the drug raid you're kind of you're cutting between eco and and eka and you're kind of sat there going like i can i can i know which one is which yeah. But because you're not focusing on faces and it's so much more... Well, you're kind of trained to think the only one that can actually do anything <laughs> is Rama. So when you see a dude throwing these kicks and then you suddenly get a good shot of his face and it's like, oh, that's not Rama. It's like, oh, yeah. where, have you, where have you been hiding, Daggy? <laughs> All right, well, very good stuff. We will be back next time to talk about the sequel to this movie, The Raid 2. And I'm going to say right now, I am not willing to fight you, Benjamin. We're just <laughs> we're going to state our separate opinions and we're not going to fight. So everyone has forward to that go to entertherealworld.com this is a stupid fucking podcast that we never should have done Uh, bye everyone bye (laughs) how many people sick of holding